If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. They're oftentimes in school systems taught to basically, you know, sit down, shut up, raise your hand, that kind of thing. I want them to think more in terms of starting sentences a lot with, well, what if we could, and if they're starting sentences that way, I feel like they're doing it right. Computer scientist and multiple award-winning educator Mark Suter teaches VR development with an emphasis on solving problems in the real world. As a full-time computer science teacher at Elida High School in Ohio, Mark both teaches game development and guides his students in creating VR simulations for local businesses. Mark is also an instructor and a master's program co-designer at Bowling Green State University. And if you'd like to learn more about developing a fun virtual reality application, he also offers free beginning VR training videos on his website. Mark, when you started learning how to create with VR, what was your own learning journey like? So when I started creating with VR, it was ugly and difficult and a lot of coding. This is probably seven or eight years ago with the Oculus Development Kit 1, DK1, and then DK2. Trying to do that with students was even worse because it would take you 10 days of coding and watching YouTube videos to be able to just move one little object. And so it's grown quite a bit since then. Now, as I teach new beginners, my own students, high school students that come into my game design class, I have them start with the Unity Learn website, the Create with VR course. And it's a lot more drag and drop and you use code to then extend your experiences. So like, yes, you can pick up a tomato and knock a can off a shelf, but that's just part of the XR interaction. If you wanted to keep score, now you have to learn a little bit of code to display that score on the screen, for instance. But it's not ugly and awkward and scary. No, no, it's not. It's not as scary. That's a good way of putting it. It's not as scary as it used to be. Now, what if someone listening is wondering about how they might use virtual reality in their work? Let's say this person is maybe an artist or maker, and they also teach classes. What mm-hmm. might they want to do in virtual reality and where do they start? Sure. So I actually did a collaboration. I'm in my classroom now. My, my high school art teacher right across the hall we partner up every year and have students come in from her art class to use either the Quest 2 or the HTC Vive in a software called Masterpiece VR. And it's kind of like tilt brush that a lot of people are familiar with, except in Masterpiece VR, you're essentially painting with a physical medium. I like to reference, there's a spray stuff called great stuff that like expanding foam fills in like gaps. It kind of feels like you're spraying that in midair. But then you can also carve out of those shapes. You can do additive, subtractive. And she has a little project where they have to, I think, design a superhero and they draw, you know, the top side in front of it. And then they bring that paper in here, even while I have other classes, and they will attempt to draw that in Masterpiece VR. And then we 3D print that and have a little VR drawn 3D printed art show. Fun. (laughs) Just fun. Yeah. What if somebody wants to create an experience in VR with their students? How do they do that? Like a training experience like you do, for example. Yeah. So this past spring, my students and I in my game design class partnered with a local car dealer. 
and basically there's it's just like designing any other type of software there's an information gathering so i went out and visited this car dealer who we were going to make a job training sim on changing the brake pads so there was an info gathering where i asked a lot of questions took notes took a lot of pictures and video of what the process really looks like and then i brought that back to my students and we established what the the essential processes are what do we really need for the end user to know and understand about this so then we build a what's called a paper prototype and it oftentimes is actually cardboard and paper sometimes legos but it sounds silly but it's what for instance jesse shell at shell games in pittsburgh they make some of the most popular vr games on steam i got to ask him after a conference once how do you prototype and he said they paper prototype and they literally cut out little pieces of paper with drawings on them and like tape them to popsicle sticks and they stand in like a group and like act out what the level would be for the user and so the beauty of that is you can get through a lot of iterations of design of okay what does the user see and how do they activate this lever or you know this part of the level in physical space they can do it in you know an hour that would have taken weeks of design time with multiple people designing and they can get right to what they really want to develop and be a lot closer to an end product or you know what resembles an end product early on so of course learning how to do all that i i'm still big on the unity's create with vr course that really helps you with all the teleportation the grabbing sockets and that's what we use for the training was all those things even pushing a button to make the lift go up so the car's already sitting in there and it pushes the lift up and then you can use the air wrench take off the nuts take off the tire etc so i had wanted to ask you about resources unity's creative vr course sounds like what you would recommend right out of the box for a first timer yep yep definitely my students that are coming in these are you know anywhere from 10th to 12th graders and they have zero Unity experience, zero coding experience, zero VR experience. And so they're coming in cold. And essentially, it's a process of simultaneously teaching them the Unity interface while also teaching them how to develop and then adding to the course a little bit of code because we want to be able to keep partnering with local organizations and companies to at least provide a realistic VR prototype. So if they do decide to go into some sort of job training simulation, yes, we could make that if we had more time, but ultimately what's more likely going to happen is they will have something to show a developer they hire and say, here's what a local high school group made for us. We really like A and B, but we just want you to add on C or something like that. So my students get to put something on their resume and, you know, it's just, it's good for all the involved parties really unity.com if i'm remembering correctly for unity yes and learn.unity.com is the unity learn website it's basically online courses it tracks your progress and so that's how i grade and then they have final project time where they can pick their own project they don't have to work on the client community project but they can what if they make a mistake what's one really mistakes are encouraged in fact i want to grab my camera and face it away that way because there's a sign that says fail hard fail fast fail often and we talk about how beneficial failure is and what it really means and try to take away the negative connotation to that. So I basically say you're not graded in how far you get in the course or if you complete your final project, you're graded on what you do from bell to bell every day. And I 
by that essentially takes away the fear of failure and gives them a little psychological safety to take risks and actually fail and not think of it as a failure. Like, Oh, I'm going to lose points. It's more of a, Oh, we messed that up. Now we're not going to get to implement one of the features that we thought of adding. It becomes a more internal motivation, intrinsic, I guess is the word. So yeah, failure is highly encouraged. It's expected. And when I screw up, I make a point to kind of interrupt everybody and show them because it's important for them to see me screw up too and normalize that. What scares me about making a mistake in Unity is I'm always scared that all my work is going to go. Well, (laughs) we also, I also teach them how to use GitHub desktop. So if they make some critical error, they can always go, essentially go back in time. They can rewind and just not upload those recent versions to the cloud on GitHub and say, well, you know, today was a complete bust, but you know what not to do. So just pull your yesterday's edition from the cloud and just start there tomorrow. So GitHub, Unity, Masterpiece have been three resources so far that we've named. Are there any other favorites you would really love to mention as we go on? I'm a big fan of the Quest 2. I have a set of like 20 of these for my classroom that I was fortunate to get through a partnership, but they now have finally gotten rid of the Facebook requirement, Facebook account requirement, which was scaring a lot of teachers and universities away. So now, like just actually today, I made a dummy Gmail account and just tied all the account meta accounts, they're called now, tied all of the headsets to the meta account. And now I have no tie to Facebook. I don't have to worry about privacy violations and all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of wary of the quest too, but now they got it right. So I'm a fan again. (laughs) A lot of teachers will be very happy. Yes. Yes. So will my husband. Yes. What about that coding? It frightens a lot of people, but Mm -hmm. you've said a little bit of code that will help you interact with your scene. Suppose our art teacher has made, let's say a gallery scene. Mm -hmm. Now they want to pick something up. Do Mm -hmm. they need code? No, not to pick things up. So the XR Interaction Toolkit is the name of it, XRIT, that basically is if you have, let's say you made a sculpture in Masterpiece VR, doesn't matter if it's a cube or David, right, carved out of marble. If you have a 3D model, there's one script, you drop it on top of that model, and now in VR, I can pick it up, and that's it. The only options then are like, okay, if I throw it, what's its mass, right? What's the trajectory, you know? There's more specifics on that, but to be able to just pick it up and drop it and toss it, it's literally, you just drag one script onto the 3D model and you're done. When they finally get to where they can write code, and what do you tell your students about a really easy code to write so that they won't be scared away? Yeah, the first thing that I kind of, we dip our toes into is user interface. So like I mentioned earlier, when I knock that can off of the table, when that can collides with the carpet, add one to the score. That's usually the first thing we do because that's the most common thing that students want in their VR games is some sort of keeping score, or at least it's a very popular one. So I usually start them off with that. And that just is changing, you know, an integer variable and then setting the user interface text to that variable, the score. Once we've created something, let's say we've created maybe the game or we have created 
the gallery I was just talking about or whatever, how do we get it out and share it with students or others? Yeah, so there's a couple of main ways right now. In Unity, you can actually plug in your headset and build it directly to the headset. So I could then take that headset over to my friend's house, you know, with no wires, have them put it on and they can test it, which is what my students and I have done for local clients when we make VR apps for them is we build it right to the headset. Now, if the client is a thousand miles away, that's not as practical. So what you can do is just build a, the VR app. It's actually an Android app if you're using Quest because it runs on a modified form of Android. So you actually just build the software and then I package it in a zip to avoid virus false alerts because when you put an EXE up in the cloud, people don't like it. Um, so I package it in a zip and put it in like OneDrive or Dropbox. And then my friend a thousand miles away can download that zip, extract it. And then they use a software called SideQuest, which is a software for Windows that basically allows you to put games on the headset without going through the official Oculus store. It's a way to side load, which means, yeah, doing it the unofficial way. And if you know where you're getting your stuff, it's safe. I wouldn't go just downloading anybody's stuff and throwing it on there, but stuff your students have made, it's pretty harmless. Let's do a shameless plug. Where are you teaching, speaking, <laughs> and where can people learn more from you? Sure. I'm teaching here at Elida High School in Elida, Ohio. I do, I'm starting to do a live show again called VR Basic Bytes, B-Y-T-E-S. That's just at marksuter.com. I have some previous shows. It's basically VR, little mini VR projects for beginners. They're very beginner friendly, very little or no code. And that's why I keep referencing that throwing the tomato and knocking the can off because that was the last episode that I did. You're on a pirate ship and you have to knock the cans off of the plank into the water and it shoots confetti and it's fun. But anyways, speaking uh, just at ISTE in New Orleans this past Probably going to do Ohio EdTech Conference in February or so. And then who knows from there? Social Media Week Lima in Lima, Ohio. They do a really good conference that has new tech. You know, this year I talked on VR, but there was also NFTs and all kinds of fun things. So that's another really good conference. VR Basic Bites and people can probably follow you then on your social media, find out where you'll be speaking or teaching. Yep. I'm trying to get more active with that. Usually... Garlic Suter is my Twitter. What do you consider one of the most interesting things you have learned about creating with VR from your students or your teaching experience in the last, let's say, six months or so? I think the most interesting to me has been how after we go through a semester of that, the increase in interest in related fields. So maybe we did very little coding in the game design class, but then that was enough to spark their interest of wow, I can do a lot with code, like it's really powerful. So then they want to take the intro to programming class. Or if they're like a senior or something, some of them then go on to follow computer science and do more research into it. And it basically is just so cross-disciplinary. You know, you could do 3D modeling to no end, to any complexity level, the art piece, the user interface piece, the coding, the software development as a whole you know, project management, all those things. And it's just been really interesting to see my students just latch on to that and just kind of go with it and trust that they're not going to be ridiculed. That's a big no-no in here. And that 
failure is expected and okay, and to basically go fast and break things. And they have adopted that. And that's been really fun to see. What's something they broke or a big mistake they made that everybody learned from? So last semester in the spring, in the Create with VR course, there's a one at the end of each chapter, there's four main chapters. At the end of like chapter two or so, they have you make this little Nerf dart gun. And so one of my students made a Nerf dart gun, but instead of shooting Nerf darts, it shot other Nerf dart guns. So every time they would shoot, they would pull the trigger once and then there'd be two. And then you pull the trigger again and those two would shoot and then there'd be four. And so you can imagine the exponential, it's not quite Fibonacci secret. I think it'd be exponential pulling the trigger. And eventually the game just comes to a screeching halt because there's so many polygons for all the, you know, the 3D models and it's falling apart. I kind of wonder if they did it on purpose just to see what would happen. But that was a real, I, I thought it was hilarious though. Like, wow, you really, you really broke it. <laughs> it was great. Experimenting though and finding out, pushing yeah. what you yeah. can do with it. Uh-huh. It was great. How have you changed the way that you prepare your students for working in the AR and VR fields from the time you started teaching the course to now? I think originally I relied a lot more on basically throwing them at the course and saying good luck because I didn't know much more than they did. But now I know where a lot of the pain points are. And so I can kind of interrupt at certain part of a chapter and say, okay, at this point, you're probably wondering, or I'll ask them like, what other features would you like to add? And it's a little trick to essentially make them think that it's their idea because predictably almost every single time they'll say, well, I want to be able to basically some sort of gamify the small app even further. So adding like spark effects, which are just particle effects. So I teach them that, or they'll ask how to keep score and show it on the screen. So I'll teach them that. So essentially I'm having them suggest what they want to learn, but now I know what most of the, of the choices are going to be before they even walk in the door. And so I've learned to do those quite well so that we can very quickly learn that and move on. But they feel like they got to do their extra little cool thing. So now they have a more complete game that they want to share and final projects and it just rolls into other areas. So I think I'm just a lot less reliant on, I hope they learn what they need to know and actually offer up like, Hey, what do you wish you could do with this game now? How would you improve it to make it more fun? Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. You have a quote that I really like. Students and educators must be entrepreneurial in every sense of the word. Why do you say that? Because similar to what I said earlier about students They're oftentimes in school systems taught to basically, you know, sit down, shut up, raise your hand, that kind of thing. And I want them to think more in terms of starting sentences a lot with, well, what if we could, or what would happen if, and if they're starting sentences that way, I feel like they're doing it right. And it's not necessarily like entrepreneurial in the sense of making money, but in the sense of you can always, you can always get better. That's a very lame way of saying it. But basically just them, not just understanding that they can get better, but expecting it and knowing that if they put in the work and the hours, they will get better. And to not base their confidence on their ability, but on their intent. And so making them, yeah, I'll show them some really nice VR games that I've bought from the Steam store or Oculus store, but then point out to them that look at the credits. 
They have 80 people that worked on this and it took them three years to build it at 40 hours a week per employee. And you do that math out and it is insane. The hundreds of thousands of work hours that went into that. And those are people with college degrees or higher. And then I say, you have less than an hour a day. You have less than, you know, less than five hours a week for 18 weeks and you're brand new to it. So I want them to think entrepreneurial, but also realistic. So keeping it in realville is somewhat important without crushing their dreams and helping them understand, okay, let's bring the scope into something that you can accomplish in that area. Now see what you can do with it. Once they get that, that basis established, then they're, they get a lot better at making decisions on, okay, what features do we really have time to make <laughs> and what features do we need to cut? But then they're entrepreneurial because then they're empowered to actually make those decisions on their own because they understand what they're getting into and how much work it'll be to make. You've just addressed a trap that it's all too easy to fall into when people get started. Why doesn't mm -hmm. my scene look as good as you know, the scene right. had 80 developers working on it? Yep. Well, I always tell my students, I said, I'd rather have an ugly gray box version that works well than a beautiful version that I just sit there and it just throws errors. And, you know, so gray boxing is another one of those early prototype things. After the paper prototype, you have the ugly, you don't have the right 3D models. It's fine. Your car might be a box with a couple cylinders on it, right? It doesn't matter as long as it works. You can always make it look pretty later, but, you know, so that provides opportunities also for the art people that are a little more artistic or digital artists or CAD modelers for them to, you know, kind of emerge from the woodwork and start saying, well, I'm kind of interested in this 3D modeling thing. I say, hey, everybody, guess what? We got a 3D modeler on our hands. So I'm going to exempt you from the next four assignments and you're going to make 3D models for all these projects. And it's great. It works. That sounds like a blast, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> If people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you really like them to take away from the work you're doing? I would want other educators specifically to understand how big of an impact we can have when we essentially ignore all of the school, the things that smell like school grades and all that kind of stuff. I understand you have to give grades. But treating them like young professionals and also having expectations of young professionals, like their use of class time and things like that, and reinforcing that and helping them become young professionals and teaching them about more of the peripheral skill sets, like how to make a phone call to that client to ask them for better detail on how do you want your brake pads, you know, to look or, you know, that type of thing, instead of just building the software in isolation. Because I think. Tying in the real world prepares them for it a lot better than them just going through a course that they could do in their basement, you know, and never talk to a human being. But when they have to work in a small group or work with a client or add features that they wouldn't otherwise use or that weren't already in the course, I think those are the things that come back and students come back and are very appreciative of skill sets, soft skills, oftentimes more so even than the hard skills. All right. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. You and I have been listening to Mark Suter, award-winning computer science teacher and Microsoft innovative education expert. Check out Mark's beginner-friendly VR lessons at MarkSuter.com. His last name is spelled S-U-T-E-R. 
forward slash VR dash basic dash bytes. Again, that is marksuter.com forward slash VR dash basic dash bytes. And you can follow Mark on Twitter and YouTube at the handle Garlic Suter. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.